You're listening to Radio Free Satan. Enjoy the show. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world. I'm your host, Adam Campbell. It's great to have you. It is August 19th, and I've got a great show for you this week. Before we dive into the meat and potatoes of the show, thank you everyone who listened and gave me a little bit of feedback, positive or negative, for last week's birthday episode. I truly appreciate it. Uh, you know, those are just supposed to be fun and really entertaining for me, So, I, and I do like to hear honesty, I don't blow smoke at my ass, so if you hate it, I love to hear that you hated it, or if you uh, tolerated it, or if you loved it, I also like to hear that. I've got a great show for you this week, saying that again. Uh, in The Devil's Advocate, we're going to be... I, I first brought these articles to you, three articles, when they were written, and I never really did a Devil's Advocate about them, I just sort of let you know that they were out there. Well, today I'm going to dive in, and I'm going to talk about simplifying satanic atheism my view. And this is an essay by uh, Magister Nemo. It's a really great essay, and it touches on a few points that I think are really important, not only for identifying yourself as an atheist, if you do while you're a Satanist, but uh, a lot of other things as well. And I'm, I'm sort of going to touch on that, and I think, I think it has bearing in the greater magic world. So I'll touch on that in a second. In The Infernal Informant, last week I told you I was going to bring you some information about Paul Ryan... And this week, I've got both articles talking about him. So the first one, Paul Ryan's faux populism. And the second article is Paul Ryan, a ticking time bomb as Mitt Romney's running mate. I'm bringing him up because he is everyone else. Obama, Biden, Romney. I've talked about them all. I've talked about their politics. Paul Ryan is brand new to this election cycle. And I don't think uh, I don't think there's enough press about him because I know I've learned things about him that I had no idea about recently. So why not bring it to you as well, right? That's what I'm going to do. And in the creature feature segment, which is going to end up being the last half of the show, I have uh, affection hate. I I have Shannon Gostin, Joel Gostin. We sat down and we really talked the hell out of the two available tracks by affection hate. I'm going to be playing them for you, too, so you get to hear them. This is amazing. The second one, him, you're not going to be able to hear it anywhere else except for... <laughs> don't you love that? You're not going to be able to hear it anywhere except the following places. <laughs> so you can hear it on uh, Deep, Six, Deep Six Radio's last show, last in a number of uh, definitions, and then... Uh, obviously in my show, and then it's going to be posted on Ultravox website when Ultravox gets around to posting it. But I've got it here today, right now. So, you're going to love that. And that interview went really long. Like, three times as long as this segment normally lasts, or and I say that because averages actually make it last a lot longer, but when I first started the segment, I intended it to be like 15 to 25 minutes. And every time I have an interviewer, <laughs> interviewee, it usually lasts about 45 minutes on average. Uh, this one went well into the hour and 20 minute range, or hour and 15 minute range. 
So I cut it down heavily. I mean, I mean, literally like in half. So if you want to catch this full interview, you're going to have to wait until it comes up on the cycle on 9 Cents Interviews uh, RSS feed. And I post on social networking sites when that comes. But this interview, I, I cut a lot out, but it is still very, very poignant about affection hate, about the two tracks and the process of getting those together. And it's, it's a really, really great interview. You're going to love it. I know it. Before we dive into The Devil's Advocate, however, I'm having some internet woes. And I don't know if any of you guys have experienced this as well, but there are... I have fiber optic cable, and the company that uh, gave it to me uh, went bankrupt and was bought out by another company who transported all of their management and everything somewhere else. Around that time, I stopped being able to access certain parts of the internet. And this has been driving me crazy, because I'm paying a good chunk of change for my internet, for it being so fast, and I expect to be able to have access to the entire internet. But some things like just downloading Java... Java! Like, I just bought my son a new computer, and I went, he loves playing Minecraft, and so I went to install Minecraft, you can't play it without Java, so I went to download Java, and it wouldn't even let me download Java. And so, I I know for a fact it's not my network internally, because I connect the internet directly to my computer, and it still doesn't connect, I go to my works, Wi-Fi, computer access, and it works. So, I know it's not the computer, I know it's not my network. It has to be my internal network. It has to be the provider. So weeks ago, weeks ago, I contacted them after months of dealing with it. Uh, and it's not just you know something like that. I mean, like iTunes, I can't download an update. Um, uh, Microsoft Xbox, some of their access. And it's not even all the access. It's just some of it. Some of the Windows updates I can't download. So it is really weird, like, sporadic. So I contact the ISP, and I'm asking them, look, this is ridiculous. We ran through a series of tests because they thought I was an idiot at first, realizing that this is a valid issue. They're like, okay, well, we will escalate it, and we will get back to you tomorrow about the solution. Tomorrow I hear nothing. The next day I call them up, hey, you were supposed to call me yesterday, explain. They're like, oh, it's still in technical support, blah. So weeks go by. I'm really busy. I, it slips my mind. i got a lot of things going on. I called this morning when I tried to hook up this computer, and they still have no idea why it's doing it, but they're still actively working on it? Right, right. So I'm supposed to call tomorrow, oh, big shock, and find out. But if... How is it even possible to filter out random servers of the same company? Like, like I can download QuickTime, but I can't download iTunes. I can... I can access Xbox Live to play multiplayer games and to download games, but I can't do, like, their clothing updates, for example, for the avatars. So it's weird, like, random little pieces of different things. And and it's really, really aggravating and frustrating. Like, YouTube, for example, I can watch almost every single movie, but randomly I will run across a movie that won't download, and it'll just sit there and spool. Really frustrating. So I have to deal with that. Um... And my car, again, the, the alternator went out literally yesterday. <laughs> it was like, I, I went to work, I came home, and I have a long commute, so it's not like I shouldn't have seen anything. Then I was going to pick up my nephew, we were going to hang out, brew a little Irish um, uh, stout, a little home brew. Really, really smelled so good, it filled up the whole house with deliciousness. <laughs> and it was a good time hanging out with him. Um, but... I went over to his house to pick him up, and the battery just sort of gave out. The car died on me, and this is literally the third time I've had to mess with this alternator in this car. Uh, the The first and second time, it was a 
apart from O'Reilly Auto Parts. It used to be Checker Auto Parts, and I don't know how far-reaching they are, but it's just an auto parts store out here in, in Utah. And it is really frustrating because they will give you 100% back, but you still have to pay for the time to do it unless you are good enough to do it or have the tools to do it yourself, which realistically I could if I had the tools, but I do not. And the buddy who I used to go to as sort of, you know, the friend hookup, I haven't talked to in forever because of his wife, and I can't really bug him to help me out with this unless I use him. And I don't use my friends, and so I just had to sort of drop the dime on the on the mechanic and I just had the car in. So, not to mention, the, you know, the huge expenses for just everything I've been going through lately. Lots of freaking money dropping on everything. It's really aggravating. So just to have this come up, uh, I start to wonder, maybe I should just walk. <laughs> it'll take me an extra five hours, I know, but, but it'll be cheaper <laughs> in the long run. I wish a bus went through that canyon. It would save me so much time. Oh, man. Okay, speaking of canyons, <laughs> this is a horrible segue, and you know where I'm going with it. Old Nick Magazine. That's right. What canyons, you say? Canyons of cleavage. Beautiful, fresh, soft, milky white skin cleavage. You gotta love it, right? I know I do. OldNickMagazine.com. You can get the physical copy ordered right from their website, or you can download the digital copy and share it all about your electronic devices, so you will always have a little Old Nick in your pocket. Check them out. Old Nick Magazine, great magazine, great people. Support them. And uh, you know what? That's going to do it for a little intro here. Let's go ahead and dive into simplifying satanic atheism. My view. You say why? So why bother? How you done? Great. Let's cut the bullshit and get real. Why this purity you feel about evil? For Christ's sake, why? Don't lie to me. I guess, Father. You gotta feel that old nick in your soul. And it becomes clear. Like it did for me, the first time. That's when I realized my one true calling in life. And what's that? Shit, man. <laughs> I'm a born devil's advocate. Welcome to the devil's advocate. I'm a Satanist. I'm a member of the Church of Satan. But I do not speak for the Church of Satan. That is all. Welcome to another Devil's Advocate. This is Magister Nemo's essay, Simplifying Satanic Atheism, My View. That's his view, not my view. That was part of the title. All right, so I'm going to read you the first uh, little paragraph, and then I'm going to talk about it. There are heavy implications, and I've actually discussed parts of this in, in a lot of different avenues, um, you know, including my Greater Magic episode last October. And we're going to do another one this October, just dropping briefly with uh, some very powerful satanic witches. So if you have any questions, send them to info at 9centspodcast.com. All right, so here we are. I noticed a weird tendency for newcomers 
to this religion to equate atheism with omniscience, claiming to already know everything about everything. This tendency is reinforced by the polemicists in science who pretend that they have already so much certainty about the nature of reality that they already know everything that can possibly exist as well as everything that cannot possibly exist. I place the word science in quotes because true science is always open to the facts of reality and a complete willingness to change theory in the face of new evidence. Great opening paragraph. What Magister Nemo is speaking to here and throughout the rest of the article is uh, the idea that true Satanists are skeptics. Now, we may draw a line in the sand on particular issues or how far that skepticism goes individually, but to question all things is a truly satanic principle. So we cannot be those blowhard atheists that you see at all the rallies or you see uh, on your social networking pages or uh, you may work with on occasion who argue for argument's sake because there's no possible way that there's anything uh, more evolved than human thought. Uh, There's no way because they've never experienced it that it can actually exist. Well, there are a lot of Satanists that I have heard of and I have met who do not believe in greater magic. They see it purely as psychodrama. And that's fine. But there's also just as many Satanists who believe that it really can affect change in the world. Anton LaVey was one of these Satanists. Uh, I am certainly one of these Satanists who believes in the power of greater magic. I do not pretend to understand why my rituals have effectiveness, nor do I particularly want to know. But the fact that my will be done, that's all I need to know. And as a skeptic, I could I could look into it, and I could try to analyze it, and I could try to make arguments for it, but some things aren't really worth my time, and analyzing something like success is certainly not. <laughs> not at all in my worldview. If I meet success on my terms, why, why analyze it? Why is it important to analyze it? Uh, unless you're going to study how you got there and stuff like that. As far as greater magic, it's not worth my time. And really, the God discussion. This is a big thing, because traditionally, if you're going to go by the Satanic Bible, um, Anton LaVey, and and actually my first, I believe it was my first or second episode, or certainly in the top five, or first five episodes, I spoke specifically to the concept of God in Satanism. Uh, In the statement that we do not disbelieve that there could possibly be a larger force in nature... But we do not call it God. By the very statement of us saying that we are our own gods is is simply a pragmatic way of explaining to the world that we are in charge of our own lives. We, we, We champion responsibility to the responsible. We do not um, blame our misfortunes on others. We take responsibility and we enact authority in our own lives rather than giving it to the air. So there's this line that you have to sort of look at in that as, as an atheist, uh, and, and this is why I, I really don't identify myself as an atheist, because socially, an atheist refuses to believe that there could ever be any other higher being. I, I don't believe that there is, but I'm open 
to talking about it. I'm open to thinking about it. And I'm certainly open to new evidence if ever there is evidence brought. It just hasn't been brought yet. And so it's not really an issue I consider, um, you know, talking about or arguing about. And really, almost every single atheist that, that really truly identifies himself as an atheist has seemed to champion the idea that it is absolute certainty, that there is absolutely nothing out there, and that it is only us. I think that is a very arrogant claim, because there are many things that we as a human species do not understand. There are many theories of science, many accepted paradigms of science, that we have come to agree on that we do not have absolute truth to, absolute fact and evidence of. We just accept it because we have nothing else that is, is clearer or sharper in evidence. Almost all of science is best guess because of repetition and analysis. It's not fact. And if we can't even understand the world around us, how could we possibly understand what we can't see in the world around us? So ideas like ghosts... Uh, ideas like residual energy. I had a very, very fantastic conversation with Reverend Brian Moore about this. Um, and that interview is actually still uh, in the cycle to be released. But I think you guys are going to enjoy it a lot. Um, residual energy with items and in places. Um, I mean, Anton LaVey speaks to it specifically uh, in the Lycanthropic Change essay he wrote um, in one of his collections, I believe. I'm looking back at my bookshelf here. Um, I believe it was uh, in The Devil's Notebook, but also reprinted in, in like, um, Secret Life of a Satanist or something like that. You can also find it online, I believe, at the Church of Satan website. But he spoke specifically to it in reference to areas uh, that have significant power and energy. So there are concepts that, you know, we cannot fully understand, but we can still use in our rituals, in our... Um, day-to-day lives with lesser magic that we can use just to enrich our worldview and enrich our lives. But if we're closed off, if we're calling ourselves hardcore atheists and there's no possibility of anything, well then that shuts out quite a large portion of reality that we haven't yet discovered or fully understood. And that's a big part of what it means to be a human being, at least to me. So that's why I love this article, is because it reminds us that we are skeptics, that we question all things, and that nothing is certain. Master Nemo did a great job here. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. You have to go check it out. Go to churchofsatan.com, click on Theory and Practice, and it is in the list there. Simplifying Satanic Atheism, my view. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the Infernal Informant. Listen up, listen up, hey out there, good news, there's no devil, bad news, else, no heaven, there's nothing to see, I'm your fellow informant. Alright, the first article is from galesburgplanet.com, and this is Paul Ryan's Faux Populism, posted on August 19th, and I do not see, oh, there it is, Robert Reich. It's under a Robert's Rules. I guess it's an opinion page. On Friday, Paul Ryan, the presumptive Republican vice presidential nominee, made the most populous speech of his campaign (laughs) season. I just started, and I'm already... I'm not even drinking at all. I got water here because it's hot as shit in my office. 
It is the people who are politically connected, he says. It's the people who have access to Washington that get the breaks, he told an enthusiastic crowd of over 2,000 at a high school gym in Virginia. Well, no more. We don't want to pick winners and losers in Washington. Hard-working taxpayers should be treated fairly and should be based on whether they're good, whether they work hard, and not who they know in Washington. That's entrepreneurialism. Did I say that right? (laughs) That's free enterprise. Sounds good. But earlier this week, three days after being picked as Romney's running mate, Ryan went to Las Vegas to pay homage to Sheldon... uh, Homage? (laughs) To Sheldon Adelson, the casino billionaire, who's a poster boy for using money to become politically connected in Washington and getting the breaks that come with it. Adelson has promised to donate up to $100 million to make sure Romney and Ryan are in the White House next year. Much of Adelson's fortune comes from his casino in Macau in China via his money-greased access to Washington. When China's pitch for the 2008 Olympics was endangered by a House resolution opposing the bid because of China's abominable human rights record, Adelson's phone Tom DeLay then House Majority Whip and recipient of Adelson's political generosity, urging him to block the resolution, when DeLay promptly did. The next day, according to New York Times, a Chinese vice premier promised Premier? Premier? (laughs) Mr. Adelson an endless line of gamblers to the Macau Casino. The money Adelson is committed to putting Ryan and Romney into the White House is a business investment. Adelson has a lot riding on the 2012 elections. Last year, his Las Vegas Sands Corporation came under investigation by the Justice Department and the Securities and Exchange Commission for possible violations of Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, bribing Chinese officials to help expand his casino in Macau. The U.S. Attorney's Office in Los Angeles, meanwhile, is investigating whether the Sands Corporation uh, violated federal money laundering laws by accepting more than $100 million from high-rolling gamblers accused of drug trafficking and embezzlement, rather than reporting the suspicious funds to the government. Ryan has also been a major recipient of contributions from billionaire energy moguls Charles and David Koch. Koch Industries PAC has donated more than $100,000 to Ryan's campaign and his leading PAC, more than any other corporate PAC, according to a New York Times analysis of campaign records. You see, Koch Industries spans a variety of oil and gas investments whose value would be compromised if Congress and White House got serious about climate change. Small wonder Paul Ryan has emerged as one of Congress's most outspoken skeptics of climate change. He's also repeatedly voted against energy efficiency standards, including a House vote to prohibit the EPA from regulating greenhouse gases. Several months ago, when I debated, <clears throat> I'm sorry, when I debated Paul Ryan on ABC's TV this week, he said we need to shrink the size of government because big corporations and wealthy individuals otherwise use government to their advantage. Quote, if the power and money are going to be here in Washington, that's where the influence is going to go. That's where the powerful are going to go to influence it, he said. It's not an argument coming from Paul Ryan because he, his proposed budget doesn't shrink government by cutting benefits and payment to big business and the rich. He increases military payments to defense contractors, for example, slashes Wall Street regulations, and gives giant tax benefits to the rich. His budget shrinks government mainly by cutting benefits and payments to the poor and lower-income Americans. Over 60% of his spending cuts target programs for Americans in the bottom third 
of the income ladder. Ryan is correct when he says it's the people who are politically connected. It's the people who have access to Washington that get the breaks. But his faux populism obscures the main point. A much smaller government still dominated by money will continue to do the bidding of billionaires like casino mogul Sheldon Adelson, energy moguls like the Koch brothers, military contractors, and other high rollers now actively trying to put Ryan and Romney into the White House. It just wouldn't do anything for the rest of us. Now, it's a good, (laughs) I mean, really great article, really good point. When you're talking about shrinking government and government's influence in the private sector, supposedly over individual rights. And all the corporations end up with power and authority because there's no regulations. Do corporations care about individuals? Have, have they ever cared? If you're setting up a government to be more inclined to take money from corporations because there's less regulations saying you shouldn't, less regulations over those corporations, and the only way to keep that is to keep greasing that corporate—I mean, sorry, to keep greasing that political wheel—then corporations are going to continue to put money into the political system. They're going to continue to have more influence than individuals. If you really think like his Tea Party suggests, and yes. He is a very Tea Party friendly candidate. And recently, since the Tea Party, which it's also important to note the Koch brothers, just mentioned, are <laughs> the backers of the Tea Party, which is ironic, I would think, that you know that this this grassroots um, organization is funded by oil corporate moguls. Not very individual rights concerned. Corporations don't care about you. They've never cared about you. They, they, they are these big, massive things that have nothing to do with individualism, have nothing to do with liberty unless it affects them, and then it's just corporate law and corporate regulation. It's not individual anything. They just they, they throw in the Tea Party beliefs and ideas in order to convince those um, less intelligent to vote against their own self-interest. And uh, guess what? It worked last election brilliantly. That's why you have gentlemen like Paul Ryan kowtowing to the Koch brothers, kowtowing to the Tea Party. Uh, And that's why the Republican Party hasn't spoken out against the Tea Party, primarily, because they're such a small, frail organization at the moment. They need the Tea Party's votes. Uh, Paul Ryan is doing everything he can to prop up corporate interests to keep himself in office, all the while arguing for individual rights and smaller government on the crazy notion that that would somehow keep big corporation out. And I don't know about you, but less regulating corporate entities will keep them greasing the political wheel in order to keep that less regulatory idea going. They don't just say, oh, well, this election cycle, we don't have any... uh, We don't have any corporate rules anymore. We don't have any uh, regulatory oversight anymore. Uh, Let's just go ahead and leave the the government to their thing and do our own thing. Because as soon as people realize the benefits that they actually had, even though they're still small because of all the deregulation going on, um, yeah, the, the effects on the environment, the effects on human beings because of the environment, 
Um, well, then, you know, we're going to go back to regulating, and then it's going to be harder. It's going to be harder because they've already removed regulations, like they've been tell- saying they're going to plan on doing all along. Um, to get them back is harder than just keeping them. Uh, keep that in mind when your kid gets cancer just because there was a corporation who dumped chemicals into the local water stream, which just happens all over America. And though you don't really hear a lot about it, and I wonder why. But hey, let's just deregulate all corporations because, uh, you know, it's going to get you a better job. Or it's going to get you a job. Or it's just a fucking lie, and if you believe it, you were an automaton. But uh, anyway, that's my opinion. Let's go to the next article. This is the Daily Beast. Uh, is Paul Ryan a ticking time bomb as Mitt Romney's running mate? And this is by Howard Kurtz, posted August 14. The congressman is getting glowing press, but journalists are just starting to examine his record. Howard Kurtz, on the low, long paper trail that could alienate moderate swing state voters just getting to know Paul Ryan. We have learned in the three short days since Paul Ryan has catapulted into the national spotlight that he skins and butchers animals to make his own Polish sausage. I can actually respect that. That he is pretty low maintenance, as his wife Jenna tells people. Don't give a damn about that. That he is kind of hot. Thank you, Politico. I definitely don't see that. And that the second most popular search term for Ryan is shirtless. Fun fact from the Washington Post, that's kind of creepy as shit. Little Anthony Weiner of him. Not to mention, he's a former altar boy, ew, and a fitness buff. Alright, cool, good for you. In short, a rather wonkish congressman, known primarily for his budget-slashing prowess, is in the first flower of a media honeymoon. At the moment, he looks like a stellar pick, who had accomplishment, uh, I'm sorry, who has accomplished the daunting task of loosening up Mitt Romney. I definitely don't see that. But watch out, Romney's choice may look very different in the coming weeks. It's not that the mainstream media have ignored Ryan's long record of wanting to drastically shrink and revamp government programs, especially Medicare and Medicaid, while pushing tax breaks that disproportionately favor the wealthy. But this somewhat radical agenda is wrapped in the gauzy overlay of an earnest young man who genuinely wants to keep the country from marching off of a fiscal cliff. Too late. Even liberal slate editor Jacob Weisberg says Ryan is not a heartless ideologue, but a conviction politician who has changed his party far more than it has changed him. Weisberg has questioned Ryan about press breakfast underscoring the House Budget Committee chairman's hidden asset, a cordial relationship with reporters and pundits in Washington and New York. But the press won't long be satisfied recounting his roots in Janesville, Wisconsin, and how he went to work at McDonald's at 16 after his father died. For all the hopeful chatter, the Ryan selection could produce a serious and substantive election debate. The hyperspeed news cycle and relentless distortions of modern political campaigning will probably render that a fantasy. Ryan may have energized the right. Rush Limbaugh and Rupert Murdoch appeared ecstatic about his elevation. Well, yeah, who would guess why? But the Cong- that was my little ad. But the congressman has the long paper trail that could alienate moderate swing voters. If Newt Gingrich could assail Ryan's Medicare plan as right-wing social engineering, Newt Gingrich said that. Little wonder that the Obama team is salivating over the prospect of hanging the Ryan record around Romney's neck. Ryan's plan to turn Medicare into a voucher program adopted by the White House, 
yeah, adopted, could wind up costing future retirees $6,000 a year as medical costs outpace the fixed benefits, according to independent studies. Conservatives are pushing back against this assessment, with National Review publishing several pieces Monday on the Democrats' Medicare tactics. But the details, that Ryan has changed his original plan, that seniors would have the choice of plans, and some would be subsidized by the government, are complicated. Kind of like the way Obamacare is difficult to explain. And if the voucher plan didn't cost elderly recipients a dime, how much would it save? Ryan's response is that his plan is preferable to the Democratic approach of doing nothing, though how does that square with the charge he and Romney make that the president wants to cut $700 billion from Medicare? Ryan, I'm sorry, Romney insists the duo is running on his proposals, not his VP nominees. On Monday, he declined to discuss the difference between his Medicare plan and Ryan's, saying, we haven't gone through it piece by piece. Well, it's a good thing you selected him for your vice president, uh, without really going over, I don't know, one of the most important decisions that your administration could make. That's an intelligent thing to do, Romney. He is a douchebag. But that won't wash. Even Fred Burns, while praising the choice in the Weekly Standard, says now Romney must actively promote and defend the Ryan plan. As of today, it's the Romney plan. Then there's Ryan's support for personhood bill, which would declare life begins at conception. Not a great help to the presidential candidate who wants to get rid of Planned Parenthood. Ryan also is pushed to privatize Social Security, which George W. Bush, despite the congressman's help, couldn't even get a vote on. Think that will play well in Florida? When the entire state is on Social Security? Uh, Not really. And as the Times noted, Ryan has voted against requiring more stringent background checks for buyers at gun shows and against federal funding for NPR. Perhaps most difficult for Ryan to explain is why a self-professed fiscal hawk voted for the TARP bailout and Bush's Medicare prescription drug program, and why he insists on zeroing out capital gains taxes and protecting the Pentagon from even modest cutbacks. Most voters won't delve into all those details, of course. But Democratic attacks will paint Ryan as a man who would squeeze the middle class and the elderly while fiercely protecting the hedge fund crowd. Keep in mind that half the country has never heard of Paul Ryan, so his political persona has yet to be defined. That's why any celebration of Romney's pick may prove to be premature. Ryan, who has never run for anything outside of his Wisconsin district, may appear a very different political figure by September. At the very least, his shifts his campaign focus from Obama's economic record to what Romney-Ryan team would do to entrenched social programs. The Romney team knows all this. BuzzFeed reports that all the top advisors oppose Ryan, except for the man at the top of the ticket. It was a far riskier choice than some of the more glowing profiles would suggest. So Ryan should go ahead and enjoy such features as the Washington Post's Every Man with Extraordinary Charm. This phase won't last long. The press is a fickle beast, and it has only just begun to sniff around Paul Ryan. Absolutely true, and that's what I'm going to be doing, at least for a couple more informal format section articles uh, in the coming weeks. I don't want to focus a whole lot, but I I, I would love to talk uh, about 
his <laughs> drastic cuts to social programs that people have right now. Um, and his really propping up of corporate interests. Because I think that's what this election, this coming election, is going to really be about. Because what we have to realize is that corporate interests have been involved in politics for 100 plus years, <laughs> since the founding of our country, 200 plus years, but, but heavily, heavily in the past 60 years. So it becomes more and more of an open issue that people don't seem to really grasp at the individual level. And you can actually make the argument... I'm sorry, there's dogs barking outside, so i got to close the window. You can make the argument that it doesn't matter on an individual level because of our electoral system. But if we don't understand it, how do we really have any voting say at all? So educating yourself is important. Uh, and, and certainly I think it's important, so I'm going to bring you as much as I can in as many different viewpoints as possible uh, to educate me, and then if you're interested, you as well. So that's going to do it for the Infernal Informant. Thank you for listening. Let's go ahead and dive into Affection Hate Interview in the Creature Feature segment. Enjoy. Oh, God. No. Just me. Did you know that after the heart stops beating, the brain can function for well over seven minutes? We got six more minutes to play. Why are you screaming when I haven't even cut you yet? Welcome to Creature Feature. Welcome to another Creature Feature. Today I'm being joined by friend of the show, Joel Gostin, and his beautiful wife, Shannon Gostin. We're going to be talking about affection hate. That's right. I know you've, if you've been paying attention to social networking circles at all, then you have uh, run across the Phoenix Reborn track. We're going to be talking about that. But there's also another track, uh, Him, I believe it's called, and it's a cover of an Ultravox tune. We're going to go into detail about that as well. So, uh, first of all, Shannon, Joel, thank you for joining me. How are you? Great. Yeah, I'm good. I actually wanted to have you on the show when I had first heard Phoenix Reborn, but a lot of things were going on, not only with me, but with you two, and uh, I'm, I'm very pleased that we could finally find some time to get together and talk. So, if the audience will recall, last year I had Joel on, and we talked about um, his podcast, and we had briefly mentioned affection hate in that, I believe. Um, and it might have actually just been in our, us talking back and forth, but that's when I was first introduced. Um, and now that there is uh, a little bit more activity there, it is great to uh, have you on to talk about it. So I kind of want to give like a little intro to the audience about what affection hate is. So could you fill us in there? Um, well, it's, it's kind of it was a project that kind of came out of nowhere. Um, ever since I was younger, I would just hear um, sort of music in my head and compose music in my head, and never really had an outlet for it. Um, and one day, about four years ago, I just bought a keyboard, bought some music mixing equipment. It was a very, very cheap program. I think it was like Acid Music or something. And uh, just started making stuff. And um, basically what I did for the most part was take sound and manipulate it on that program and then chop it up and sort of turn it into um, a song, which was sort of what um, the song Bleeding Out was, which is just... You know, it was kind of like a, a just a meshing of crashes and booms and stuff like that. And I actually wound up composing a song, um, which is very classical. And I did a few more. And um, 
at the time this was you know this was MySpace days way back in the day. Yeah. And um, Joel had sort of I guess heard my stuff and contacted me on MySpace and said, "Wow, this is great. You know, I really like it." And I didn't take him seriously because I didn't think it was any good. <laughs> You know, because because I felt I was just sort of pulling out of my ass. I wasn't somebody that, you know, had ever had any training. And um, over the years, I've come to realize that yes, it is good and that it is valid and it, it's it's pretty cool. I mean, I even had recently um, who's that Paul Paul Rossler? I think it was. Yeah, yeah. We were just out in Los Angeles, and um, I met up with an old friend of mine, Paul Rossler. And uh, he's been in a ton of bands, uh, The Screamers, 45 Grave, uh, kind of a Los Angeles music legend. And uh, we were up at his studio, and uh, he played some of Shannon's demos on his huge system. It sounded like an aircraft carrier. (laughs) And it really put things into a, a much different perspective, you know, where you can really hear the power of the music through a system of that size. Um, so that was definitely a, a cool experience to hear what was initially an idea done. I guess you did that in your bedroom in what, 2008? Yeah, it was, it was a long time ago. I mean, the entire, the name of the band, the name of everything sort of came out of like a really a difficult time I was having. I was sort of in a relationship with somebody that I knew was never going to go anywhere um, due to how different our lives were and time and distance it was a really kind of emotional time. And when I was trying to think of a project name for this, because I didn't, I didn't really think of it as a band. I didn't really think it was ever really going to go anywhere. It was just a way for me to kind of express myself in a way that um, my artwork wasn't really covering. Um, And so I I decided to call it affection hate. And that comes from the words affection, hate, and effect. And, um, it just sort of it just sort of went really well, and I thought, okay, well, this is the name. This is how it's going to go. And um, you know, years later down the road, I met Joel. Um, I realized who he was, and he was a professional musician. And I'm, you know, I started to think, well, maybe I should do more with this. And um, one of the things that I I hate as an artist is people who stagnate. You um, mm-hmm. know, they have a certain way of doing art or a certain thing that they do, whether it's drawing or painting, but they always repeat themselves. Um, and for every artist that I've ever liked, um, they seem to fall into that trap of, you know, let's just do the same old thing. Like, even when you look at Geiger and stuff like that, like, wouldn't it have been amazing if he just one day decided he was going to paint, like, a field with horses on it or something? <laughs> you know, yeah. like, if just one day he came out and just, you know, painted a teddy bear in the window, you know, or if Thomas Kincaid, you know, decided he wanted to paint dragons or something. I mean, it just, just to me, like, if you're an artist and you have great talent, you should change and you should shift and you should, you know, because life is fluid. Life changes. And it gets very disappointing when you really get to like a certain artist or a certain musician, but all they ever do is produce the same old thing. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and if I could just interrupt really briefly here, I've talked about this ad nauseum, the idea of, of continually growing as a human being and how essential it is. Um, and, and I think, well, I don't think I've met anyone that would disagree with that. But I've never actually thought about it in the terms of appreciating someone else's work like following an artist for example um certainly not with with art like traditional artists like fine artists uh, like you're talking about now so i think that's really interesting because maybe it is sort of a hang-up maybe it is sort of uh, uh just uh 
staying with what's comfortable and refusing to grow when when you do just stick in you know your same comfort zone of of creation and stuff oh definitely and you know i I have i definitely have my art teacher from uh both middle school and high school to thank for that because growing up i would always just draw animals and one day she's like you're gonna have to learn how to draw people and you know she was always kind of pushing me and eventually it sort of solidified my view of you know if you're going to be an artist or you're going to be a musician you have to change you have to do something different and that's not always something you can sell and that's not always something that works because the world wants the same thing you know if they like one thing from you that's the only thing that they're going to want from you and um you know it was kind of like i decided i didn't care about the rest of the world yeah. you know it was it was i'm going to i'm doing this because i want to i'm doing this because it moves me and i'm doing it because from a, you know a moral standpoint of being a creator um i don't want to stagnate because i don't think that you can call yourself a creator when you do the same old thing so the whole idea of affection hate when it moved beyond just me and you know Joel was interested in it and doing things under the name was that the members or whoever was going to be involved would be totally fluid all the time and could change. And there wasn't really a set band. It was just, and I mean, I couldn't even be, you know, there could be a time where I would step back and maybe other people would do things and we'd still call it affection hate yeah. uh, because sometimes it's good to just step away and see what other people will do, which is sort of what happened when uh, Joel made his song and sent it off to um, Troy. Troy, that was it. Troy Gregory. Yeah, I mean, uh, what's nice about Affection Hate is it's a different kind of musical experience for me. In that, the idea of sitting behind a drum set doing a traditional band it, at this stage of my life absolutely just bores the shit out of me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've done, I've, I've done that. You know. Yeah. Uh, after 60 some odd releases, you know, it's time to do something else. So, um, I am participating in affection hate, but I haven't sat behind a drum set to do it. <laughs> you know, I've been experimenting with electronic, uh, programs and effects and things like that and manipulating sounds and creating things that way. So it's freed me up to move beyond my comfort zone. And that's always a very interesting to do. Um, and just the fluid nature of our circle of friends kind of fuels affection hate at this point because um, you know one thing that I'm very I consider myself very fortunate in is the fact that I've built a, a fairly eclectic uh, group of friends, <laughs> yeah. um, especially in the music world, who I can draw from and collaborate with. So affection hate is never going to be a band you can listen to and say. Oh well, that's affection hate because it's going to change song to song just by virtue of who's part of that particular recording. Um, so every song has its own personality, um, and that's really the only way I think I can do music now. Uh, I mean, it really sounds like it's uh, rather than, as you said, rather than a traditional band setup, it's it's an organic collaboration of artists. It absolutely is. Um, nobody who's been a part of Affection Hate, um, the combination of people, I should say, on a particular recording, I didn't wake up in the morning and say, oh, I want you know Pete Jones to play bass, and I want Troy to sing, and I want Dave Ingram to do this. Uh-uh. <laughs> it just happened very organically. And in the case of uh, the Phoenix Reborn song, uh, which was the single we put out earlier this year, 
Um, that happened. That was about eight months in the making, and none of us knew it would be an affection hate song um, until you know just a couple weeks before it was put out and made available. Um, we didn't know what it was. Wow. You know that happened uh, kind of as a result of uh, really three people sort of uh, fueled the Phoenix Reborn song: um, Lee Popa. Troy Gregory and uh, Al Jorgensen from Ministry. Wow. It's very strange ways. Um, as you know, when we spoke last year, uh, I had just about finished my solo EP, mm-hmm. just something I'd never done before. And I put that out, and it's still on my website. People can go to gostonbooks.com on the drop down menu. You'll see uh, a link for Snake Bite Blues. That's the EP. And it's all for free. And, uh, you know, so I put that out just because I hadn't done one before. <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, I might as well do something under my own name. And I had some great contributors for that. Uh, Pete Jones used to play in, uh, not Ministry, uh, Public Image Limited, really good friend of ours. Uh, Keith LeBlanc used to play in Ministry, uh, now plays in Tackhead and has been for many years. Um, so it, 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 I put it out there, and then I get a call one day from a good friend of mine, uh, a guy named Lee Popa, who uh, has done sound engineer work for pretty much everybody, like uh, Cheap Trick, <laughs> The Rolling Stones, Lollapalooza. He's kind of a guru for a lot of people in the music business. And uh, he called me one day and said, you know, Joel, considering everybody you know, why the fuck are you not calling these people to see, to see if they want to do something? Whether, whether Good point. Yeah, he's like, you know, why are you just putting these songs up there and letting it be? You know, move heaven and earth. You know, everyone, might as well. And I, and I said, well, it's interesting you mentioned that, Lee, because I'm going to be seeing Troy Gregory in a few days. Um, Troy's in old buddy of mine he's out in Detroit he uh, he came up to Salem Massachusetts with his band The Witches which makes perfect sense The Witches and Salem yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's been around a long time he's been in a lot of great bands uh, Flotsam and Jetsam Killing Joke The Swans uh, right now he plays in a, an amazing band called Crime in the City Solution so Troy came up we all got together and hung out and at one point in talking with him I sort of humbly began asking him if he wanted to do something and before I finished the sentence he had already agreed to do it whatever he wanted to do <laughs> so wow. yeah so I said well I've got this song called Take Flight which is from the uh, EP you want to do a remix I'll send you the tracks and have at it and he agreed, and a few months later, he wrote me, he said, hey, I've got your song done, but can I sing on it? I said, Troy, you can do whatever you want to it. If you want to play the toaster, go right ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and um, So he sent us this really beautiful song at the end of the day, which is what became Phoenix Reborn. So he took the original song, which was myself, Shannon, uh, Pete Jones, Keith LeBlanc, and added his own and, and Sonny Bellavance, too. God, I almost forgot to mention Sonny. Yeah. Our very own Sonny Bellavance. <laughs> Great man. Yeah, well, wonderful guy. Probably the uh, most talented musician I've ever known. Um, 
he actually volunteered to play some stuff with us, which was, you know, I mean, we just pretend he's a real musician. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know it does, it does, I've been I've been in punk bands for twenty years. It's not a lot of hard work, you know. He actually <laughs> works at what he does. So well, that's Sonny, great. Yeah. So Sonny was there too, and then around this time, uh, we hooked up with Al and Angie Jorgensen because uh, Ministry had put out a benefit EP around the holidays last year for dog rescue charity where uh, their goal was to sell 365 of these special EP collections and it came with uh, a CD and a beer koozie and some postcards and stuff like that Um, their goal was to actually pay to foster a dog for an entire year at a, a rescue place in Arizona and you know dog rescue is a major passion for us as a family mm-hmm. kind of like we're watching what Al was doing and we're like oh wow that's really cool well, let's have him on uh, my show Gloria's Noise our radio for Satan so we did you know, we called up Al we got him on the show um, got to know his wife Angie pretty well in the process because she's very much involved in animal rescue so we, we were kind of inspired by what Al was doing you know, and he, he, he does a lot for that cause, and a lot of people don't realize that. Um, so that's when Al kind of came to the picture and inspired us to take the Phoenix Reborn song, release it on iTunes, and give every penny to uh, Dog Rescue. And that's what we've done. And that's what we'll continue to do. That's awesome. So uh, that was kind of a long answer to that question. But <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no, that's great. I mean, we covered a lot of ground there. Um can I ask you, Shannon, do you, do you sort of uh, um, orchestrate the, the tracks? Um, what's your involvement in, unless I guess we'll start with Phoenix Reborn. Um, usually it's, it's just I add something here or there. I mean, if Joel starts doing something, a lot of the times I just wait until he's sort of done with it and then I just add stuff. Um, because with my stuff, like I can start working on something and it will sound really good and then I'll just stop and it'll sit there for a few months. Um, Joel is very much opposite of me, where if he does something, he wants to get it done. You know, it has to get go. You know, it has to, it has to happen and it has to happen with a certain amount of time that he has. Um, and even when I do artwork, I mean, it, it, I'll start something, get it halfway done, walk away from it because I, I, I either start something else or I listen to it. I think this isn't good enough. And then I come back like a month later and I listen to it. I'm like, oh, my God, this is great. (laughs) (laughs) So it it takes moving away from it for me. But Joel's very different. So I usually step away when he works on things and, um, you know, wait till he gets closer to the end. And then I sort of add my input um, just because it makes it easier to work together. Yeah. I I think my my, more of my role, too, is sort of facilitating the other participants in this, Um, you know, because we're dealing with people around the country, around the world at this point yeah uh, you know getting the files making suggestions getting everybody kind of in the same headspace you know dealing with the logistical issues that come with you know in some cases six different people and six different opinions and sometimes you kind of have to you know blow the whistle and be a referee and say okay well we've taken everybody's input but this we got to go with this because this is where we are mm-hmm. yeah so of finishing the track and you know, so it's finding a happy medium where everybody's pleased with what they give a song. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, there has to be somebody to kind of finish it off. You know what I mean? Absolutely. 
Yeah, I mean, you gotta you got to be the ringleader at times. It, I mean, especially when it's, you know, a project that you two are heading up. Well, let's, let's go ahead and uh, let the audience hear Phoenix Reborn. was a collaboration of how many different people? Oh, let's see. Well, it was Troy Gregory singing. Um, we had Keith LeBlanc on samples, or uh, loops, rather. Myself, Shannon, Sonny, and uh, Pete Jones. We had six. Wow. Wow. Yeah, huh? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a lot to coordinate over. Uh, I'm sure it took uh, quite some time. I mean, you, you didn't mention, was it, was it eight months that it took? It was around. It was around eight months from where it started off as the take flight track and ended right. up born because we gave it to Troy around Halloween, and then everybody got super busy. Um, so it was mainly Troy's thing at that point. And it took a couple months to get you know things in order with him, and then 
he wanted to add a vocal to it. We said, look, you know, take your time. You know, there's there's no rules in Affection Hate. We don't have a record deal. We don't mm-hmm. have a producer. It's us in our living room. So fuck it. Take 20 years. Of <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, you know, what's really cool about this whole thing, and even with the other song we'll talk about later, there are people we're recording with we've never met face-to-face. Um, and I think that's really beautiful in that, you know, we have Pete Jones from England who I've known you know, over the interwebs <laughs> for, yeah. you know, quite a few years. Um, and then we have Sonny, who, uh, you know, we've known in the same same way. Um, Troy, you know, we know Troy uh, as an in-person friendship. Um, but, you know, Keith LeBlanc, the same thing. You know, we, we've never really sat in a room with these six people, and I don't know if that will ever happen logistically. But we have a song together. And that's fucking amazing to me. Yeah, that's... That's what's great, and I don't think that it would have necessarily even have been possible ten years ago. Oh God, no! No, not at all. I mean, you know, like like Martin Atkins, a buddy of ours, who's also a part of this whole thing, this affection hate thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, he's done Pigface for twenty years, which I was a part of at one point, and you know, he he kind of did the template that we're kind of following now, where it's bringing in an eclectic bunch of people to a song and seeing what happens. You know, back then he he would describe it as FedEx synergy. You'd have to send all these things, you know. Um, but now it's you know with, with things like Facebook. I mean, you know, we can start a thread internally with everybody who's on 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 the song and get all this stuff sorted. You know, anybody's got a gripe or a question or a suggestion, boom, everybody hears it. You know, and we can get the song done that way. It's it's a beautiful thing. Like I said, I would I wouldn't work any other way right wow. now. There's no way. So how did you land on uh, Peace and Paws? Um, well, it was a rescue that I'd met while working at a, uh, a doggy daycare back in the day. And it was one of the only rescues that we were working with where we could call the people up and say, oh, the dog that we're fostering is out of dog food, and they would be there immediately. You know, it wasn't like one of those lackadaisical rescues where they sort of just dump the foster dog and then every once in a while, you know, make sure the dog was okay until it was adopted. I mean, they're very involved, very, very into, you know, rescuing as many dogs as they possibly can. I mean, they're very, very, very passionate people. And um, to me, I mean, that that's a good rescue where the people are very involved. It's not just, here's a dog, you know, adopted out. Here's another dog adopted out. I mean, they really get involved with the families. They get involved with the dogs themselves. And um, they do a lot of the transportation themselves. So it's, it's, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, if you know a good rescue, that's the rescue you want to support. And, um, quite recently dog fancy did a, you know, full page article on them. And, um, you know, so it's, it's a rescue that I'm going to continue to support. And they do a lot of, um, transports from Alabama and, you know, Mm -hmm. the South where people really don't give a damn. Mm -hmm. Um, culture is very, I want to say like socially retarded in, in place <laughs> when it comes to animals, you know, it, it's, it's very backwards, very backwater. You know, it's just, I have a dog. It stays outside chained up. We don't spay and neuter. You don't do heartworm. They just have dogs, uh, you know, and, and the culture is starting to change. I mean, there's some wonderful rescues. There's a, a you know, wonderful groups of people. Um, you know, there's a lot of spay and neuter clinics out there that are really trying to make a difference, but it's it's very much an uphill climb until the culture changes. Uh, so it's definitely a rescue that I am very big in supporting. And, That's great. I mean, have you always had an affinity for 
for is it all animals or is it just dogs? It's it's all animals, but I, I really have settled on dogs. I mean, I, I love horses too, but um, you know, I grew up basically in a neighborhood that was you know it was a little unfinished cul-de-sac out in the woods in New Hampshire, basically. And um, all of the neighbors just let the dogs loose. I mean, that's just how it was. And we had all breeds of dog. We had a German Shepherd, you know, mix. We had a Pit Bull mix. We had Labs. Um, I had a little Shizu. You know, the neighbors had Chihuahuas. Um, And all of these dogs would just be loose and roaming around. And the dogs never attacked or hurt each other. They didn't go after cats. They didn't hurt the kids. And, you know, it was basically because they were living... You know, they were living beside us the way they were supposed to be. And so very, from a very young age, I was observing dogs and dog behavior and being more interested, I guess, in them than I was really the human friends that I had. And when I had convinced my parents to finally get me a dog when I was, you know, 13, that was my little shih tzu. Um, it was basically me and him and we'd go out in the woods and hang out. And, uh, you know, I had a friend later on and she had dogs. And so dogs have always been in my life and possibly a bit more important than the people um i can identify with that absolutely you know even even today it's like i I really do spend more time with my dogs than i do pretty much anybody else (laughs) just simply because i work with them yeah yeah. but but to me i mean if if you if you look at what a dog is it's basically an animal that has been crafted both by humans and by you know evolution to be perfect for us and I think that they're far more deserving of respect and care than they're given. And um, it, it, to me, it's just a no-brainer that you do whatever you can to protect an animal that would give its life for you. You know, I know my dogs would rise up to defend me and, and you know, risk their lives to protect my family. So in my mind, um, you know, all dogs are worthy of that, you know, that love and respect and care. Wow. Yeah, and I think, unfortunately, not every dog owner feels the same way. No, I mean, Um, you know, there's there's various, you know, it's either they don't care and the dog spends its life, you know, chained up or tied up somewhere, or they treat the dog like a human, which is pretty much just as as bad. You know, a dog doesn't want to live its life in your purse. A dog doesn't want to (laughs) live, you know, in baby carriage. It wants to be a dog. And, you know, in, in the profession, you wind up, meeting all sorts of, of people who just ruin their animals because they can't get over the fact that their dog is not a human. And it's so disrespectful to the animal to expect it to even remotely be human. And it, it, it's, it's just a disgusting thing that humans have where they just expect every animal to acclimate to our very twisted psychology. <laughs> Yeah, and that's the other thing is expecting behaviors to be understood, like like our complex emotions and mannerisms to be completely understood by these completely separate species of creature. It is. It's it's terrible. It's you know, I mean, if I said to you, go somewhere where you don't know the language, you don't know the culture, and be okay. I mean, that would be highly stressful for you. You'd be very confused. You know. Yet we expect this of dogs immediately. Mm-hmm. From the moment they're puppies on up, they're expected to know what we want. They're expected to understand our language. They're expected to do what we want without any direction. You know, they're expected to be good without discipline or training. And it's it's, it's terrible. And I, I think as 
as um, as we are modernized and we um, sort of move away from, you know, being people who, uh, you know, sort of eat eat what we grow and you know, eat what we kill ourselves. We we move away and there's a disconnect from, you know, I want to use the term nature, and we stop considering that, um, you know, these animals haven't changed from a hundred thousand years ago. Just because, you know, we have all these nice beds for them and we have these big houses and big yards, it doesn't mean that's what they want and what they need. Yeah. yeah and, absolutely. Uh, well, I mean, would you ever be in favor of, like, licensing in order to own animals? I, my, my whole thought is, is that if you own an animal, whether it's a cat, a dog, a horse, um, unless it's an animal that you would have on a farm to breed for food or, you know, to use as a food source or something like that, that you should have, have to pay for and acquire a license in order to breed them. And if not, by the time that they are a certain age, they should be spayed and neutered. Mm -hmm. And the cost to get, you know, that, that, um, a real breeder, like somebody who is really doing it for, you know, the genetic health and well-being of the animal will pay the license fees. Um, you know, because part of the problems that we have are backyard breeders and puppy mills. Absolutely. And the reason that they get away with the things that they do is because they are not regulated. And if they are, if they get caught, they get shut down, all they do is open up somewhere else because the punishment is a slap on the wrist. Yeah. Um, are you guys comfortable saying any numbers about uh, what you've raised for the charity so far? Uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you this, it's nowhere near what it should be. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, unfortunately, either people don't know about this issue or don't care. Mm -hmm. uh, I would like to think, because some of my life is still based on optimism, um, I would like to think that people just don't know about it. Uh, because it's a dollar, you know, not just the song, of course, but the, the greater issue that we're addressing here. I mean, look, it's a fucking 99 cent song on iTunes. Yeah. Download the fucking single. I don't care if you ever if you never listen to it. My ego's secure. I don't care. But every download goes to something. You know, three hundred downloads. That's a doggy wheelchair. You know. So there's real tangible value. And one of the reasons why we picked this particular dog rescue to support is because it's right in our area. We can go and physically see what that song is helping do. You know, see tangible results, but we need help. You know, and when it comes to helping an animal that doesn't have the ability to seek it, seek help itself, we will beg, plead, jump on cars, do anything <laughs> we can. Fuck humanity. Joel that's over and done with. That ship is fucking sailed. <laughs> yeah. But you know, dogs certainly that are abused. I mean, there's a dog that they got in a couple weeks ago. This thing was literally just skin and bones. Within two weeks, it's getting healthy. It looks like a dog again. I mean, that's you know, that's what music should be. You know, because you're not you're not going to make any money off it unless you have a really good shtick where everybody, you know, like Lady Gaga and like yeah. Taylor Swift, and you know, or you have you know someone like Disney or Nickelodeon backing you. You're not going to be a famous musician that rises up from the garage. Yeah. And into superstardom. I mean, that that's over. There's no industry anymore, so if you make any money doing this, put it to better use. That's all we're trying to do with this. And, and look, I'll, I'll flatly say, anybody who listens to this show, 
part with a dollar and help. Absolutely, yeah. I'm, I'm right behind you on that one. Um, I will put the link to the iTunes single on the show notes. Well, that's great. I mean, it, it's wonderful that you, you're passionate about it. You have a personal connection to it. And you're doing something. That's, I think, the most important thing, is that you actually did something for it instead of just talking about it or posting pictures, you know, online or whatever. Um, can we talk about your next song? Uh, yeah, it's a cover. <laughs> it's a cover of a song by a band called Ultravox, um, who are back around again. They're doing the reunion circuit. But they were um, a late 70s, early 80s new wave band from England. And uh, really, really good band. Like one of the better bands of that genre. And I'm a big fan of theirs. And their singer, uh, a fellow named Midjor, uh, was one of the first people I ever interviewed when I started Boston Books. Um, because he had previously worked in Thin Lizzy before Ultrabox. Wow. And uh, he's a great guy. And I've always really respected what he's done musically. So the Ultravox website <laughs> announced a, uh, a covers contest. You know, anybody could submit something and they post it up and, you know, people can, I guess, judge or the webmaster judges it. Mm-hmm. You win like a signed poster or something. I don't know. You know, I, I could give a shit about that, but I, yeah. <laughs> I, I wanted to do an Ultravox cover, but okay, well, who do I get? I have no idea. Okay, I just want to do it. Right. So, post it on Facebook. Hey, I'm looking for people to, you know, do an Ultrabox cover. I have a lot of musician friends on my page who are more pop-oriented, who I think would get it, and say, yeah, I'll play keyboards on this, or I'll play bass. I expected to hear from them. What I didn't expect to hear from, or who I didn't expect to hear from, was fucking Dave Ingram. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who, you know, who, as you know, is a death metal singer. Um, he immediately said, hey, can I do this with you? Yeah, Dave, sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's do a, a new wave song together. That should be interesting. <laughs> so then it was, okay, well, we need a bass player. Well, Matt Ingram plays bass. Okay, well, why don't we get him? You know, and so on and so on. Um, and then we... Uh, Again, the logistics with the drumming, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. sure what to do with that. Um, so we had Shannon's brother, Ryan, who's a, a really talented hip-hop producer and performer. He goes by the name Ryan Reminis. Um, he actually programmed the drums and did the majority of the mixing once we got everyone's track in. Nice. So I did some, like, African style percussion along the way and stuff. But most of the drumming is Ryan. Dave sent in his uh, <laughs> his his growls, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I don't know if you've heard the original song, Him by uh, Ultravox, but it's a very challenging song vocally. And, you know, Dave was like, I can't sing. I'm like, well, you're a death metal singer, you growl, and we'll use the growls. But we wanted to, you know, the thought was, well, let's get a female singer to do something. Dave suggested this, this fabulous singer named uh, Juliana Novo, extraordinarily talented singer. And I'm very happy to be able to use this song as a way to maybe introduce other people to her. Um, because she, she's a really good singer. 
fantastic singer. So she added a whole new level of professionalism and, and beauty to this song. Um, so the song's finished. Um, as of the time of this interview, we're waiting on Ultravox's people to post it on the website. Um, and then we'll start promoting it proper. I believe Dave Ingram and Matt Ingram did a recent episode of Deep Six Radio where they play it. Definitely hear that Deep Six Radio show because it's entertaining. But uh, I'm going to play the track right now. Leave us, please, they all that you showed me the power and the glory to my kingdom
So what were some of the challenges that, that you uh, encountered? Was there anything significant that sticks out in your mind? Uh, nothing in terms of personality. Um, it was more about getting time zones coordinated. Um, you know, in the case of the Ultravox track, there was a bit of a deadline. Um, although at this point, the site hasn't yet posted it because they got, uh, from what I understand, a pretty heavy influx of, of submissions. You know, but this was the first Infection Hate project that was done with a deadline, mm-hmm. and it had the most um, eclectic people on it. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, we all have jobs and children in, in many cases um, and responsibilities. And there were a couple of people who uh, we were hoping to have on the track but just couldn't couldn't participate in time. So we would have had an eight-person lineup as opposed to a six-person lineup for that one. Um, but we're going to be doing a remix EP <laughs> based, nice. based on the Ultravox song. And uh, so we're all going to kind of do our own, our own interpretations. Because um, everyone's quite pleased with where we arrived at with the finished version. But I know Matt wants to kind of give it a go on his own. Um, I wouldn't mind tinkering with it. I want to do a dub remix of the entire track. I think what you guys are doing is great. I I, I absolutely love it. Uh, I love the Phoenix Reborn. I love that it actually had um, a, a life after it. Rather than just creating it and putting it out there, there's, there's a continual... Uh, connection, a continual pulse with it, which uh, you know is is kind of nice and fits with the the name of it. And then uh, the the hymn, yeah, I mean, great, great stuff. Well, this is really great. Thank you both for spending so much time with me. I truly appreciate it. Where can uh, the audience go if they want to learn a little bit more about Affection Hate or uh, maybe to find out more information about these individual tracks? Um, we I do have a blog at affectionhate.com. You know, they, people can email um, affectionhate at gmail.com. Uh, also, too, to, to put a plug in, uh, plug into a really good friend of ours, um, there's a website called bravewords.com, mm-hmm. which is a site, uh, Brave Words and Bloody Knuckles. It used to be a, a print metal zine. Now it's a metal website. People can check that out. And there's all kinds of awesome content. Yeah, it is actually a really, really good um, music website as far as, you know, just keeping you in touch with it. Uh, and we'll be certainly uh, promoting things on the uh, Radio Free Satan Facebook as well because so far we've had a lot of other DJs involved in these songs. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, one big, one big scary family here. So we try to, you know, keep the family close, that sort of thing. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And I mean, just to drop a line for you, Glorious Noise, you've got some episodes coming up in the future as well, right? Uh, yeah, actually. Um, I have two shows in the works, one with uh, Paul Rossler, who we mentioned earlier in the show, um, and a second with the photographer, Ed Culver. Those things are in the works. I'm hoping to have them up in September. Um, there's some other bands I've been talking to. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm fairly visible online, so if anybody has any specific questions about Affection Hate, I try to be somewhat accessible. So I'm going to have to cut it there. Thank you both so much for joining me. Uh, everyone get out to the Ultravox's website uh, as soon as it's posted or just listen to this or the Deep Six radio show uh, to hear the, the latest compilation track again. Uh, Shannon, Joel, you guys are awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, Adam. Always nice to talk to you. Definitely. All right. Love those songs. Uh, great job, guys. And a very, very long interview. I didn't realize how long I had left it, actually. <laughs> 
So this show is really, really long. But you know what? There's one more thing I want to bring in here. Matt Ingram from Deep Six Radio decided to uh, send me a little, uh, little audio file that I'm going to play for you now. And this is um, a bit of a, a farewell audio snippet. Matt has been doing an amazing job with Deep Six Radio. I like to consider him a good friend, and I think he's a stellar human being. So if you haven't heard that last episode, get over to RadioFreeSatan.com, Deep Six Radio, check it out, and uh, let's see what he has to say. Well, hello, Mr. Campbell. This is Matt from Deep Six Radio. Well, was Deep Six Radio. Of course, it's no longer available. Though my last show is up, if you want to tune in, go to RadioFreeSatan.com. Firstly, thank you very much for allowing me to come on to Nonsense and do my final, final message to uh, all the Radio Free Satan listeners. So to you, sir, thank you very much indeed. The reason for me wanting to come on your show and say thank you is mainly to you, sir, uh, for all your support you've given me, especially me letting me uh, appear on your show. Uh, and obviously with the crossovers and all your help and input uh, into Deep Six, it's very, very appreciated. Of course, I am a massive, massive fan of your show anyway. I know Idris also wanted to say goodbye, but unfortunately she's a little bit tied up at the moment. She's helping me set up the new project, Doctor, which, once up and running at full steam, I will be back to do an interview and tell uh, the Radio Free Satan listeners a little more about it. It's good to know, Mr. Campbell, that Deep Six is on your list of things to do. Uh, as we were saying on email, it's in between Jesus and Buggery. So it's, uh, it's top three then, I'm assuming. <laughs> so you said I could pick a track to play on here as well, so thank you very much for that. The track I have chosen to play is a band that me and my brother are both big, big fans of, but we didn't play them on the last show. The band is Queens of the Stone Age. This is taken from their album Lullabies to Paralyze. And of course, it is called long, slow, goodbye. Kind of like what I'm doing, dragging it out as long as possible. So finally, to all the Radio Free Satan listeners that tune into Deep Six, thank you very much to Mr. Campbell and Nine Cents and all your listeners. Thank you very, very much indeed. I'm sure I'll be back at some point in the future. Don't know when, don't know where, but I will be back on Radio Free Satan, I would imagine at some point, even if it is on Metal Breakfast Radio. Do go to the website, RadioFreeSatan.com and check out all the fantastic shows available on there. So, one final time from me, Hail Satan, and this is Queens of the Stone Age. Where have you gone again, my sweet? Everybody wants to know. Where have you
I can't believe you're gone. Come back! <laughs> oh, <clears throat> sorry. So, uh, you, you know that whole Jesus listening to Deep Secret Radio episode and buggery thing? It was the order. The order was off. It started with me buggering Jesus while listening to Deep Six Radio episode. So, just so you know, that's that's what I meant. I didn't, I didn't mean I was, like, researching Jesus and then gonna go bugger someone like, you know, Catholic priests do it. I was just going to just bugger Jesus. I mean, I figure um, he was strapped to a piece of wood till he died. So he has to like wood. I, I got wood. I got wood right now. It's, I mean, it's more chub than wood, let's be honest. I, I'm not, I'm not like, I'm kind of like, yeah. Okay, I'll stop. <laughs> uh, Matt, you're awesome, man. Uh, I Actually, I really, really dig Queens of the Stone Age as well, so that's a perfect song for you to play as your last one, and you are welcome back anytime. As well, if you'd like to co-host, I would love to have you on, uh, just to uh, rant back and forth. I think the audience would too. So, uh, chin up, congratulations with your family, congratulations on focusing on what's important in your life, and I wish you the most success in whatever you do. Um, unless it flies in the face of my success. And then, fuck you, you're going to die. But, barring that, um, congr- <laughs> good luck and congratulations. And we're going to miss you. Alright, you know what? That's going to do it for another show. It is a really long episode. Thank you so much for hanging in there, everyone. I truly appreciate it. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. I would love to hear from you. Visit the website 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let me know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. You can visit the Satanet, Facebook, Google+, Twitter, or MySpace page for 9 Cents and get updated on weekly topics. Listen to the show at RadioFreeSatan.com or download the show Monday nights via my RSS feed found at 9centspodcast.com. We're also now on Last FM. You can subscribe to 9 Cents via iTunes by searching 9 Cents, and don't forget to leave your rating and or comment. If you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, visit churchofsatan.com. And if you'd like to hear other fine satanic voices, music, or personalities, visit radiofreesatan.com, an online streaming radio station. Once again, thank you for joining me, and as always, I'm your host, Adam Campbell, and until next week, Hail Satan! I'm gonna miss you!